<sighs> Welcome back, everyone. This is the Mind Body Mentor Podcast. My name is Steven Jaggers, and I am your host. On today's beautiful episode, I got to sit down with Elizabeth Kristoff. She is a brain-based, trauma-informed, functional neurology, somatics, and subconscious wiring coach. And her story is absolutely incredible. Um, She is such a poised and embodied individual and has so much, so much knowledge. Um, She went in on the uh, anatomical uh, languaging. So for you guys that are um, physiology nerds, I think you will get a lot from this, uh, which I am as well. I told her to go all in and don't hold anything back. So you guys will learn so much from this episode. And as always, if you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes, it helps this little podcast grow so we can get this information out to the masses. And I appreciate it so much. If you want to support the podcast, um, it is sponsored by Organifi, some of the best holistic whole food supplementation that you can buy on the market and if you want a 15% discount code you can use the code mindbodymentor at checkout also if you are a coach a practitioner a therapist and you are looking to deeper your understanding of somatic psychology and also have an incredible tool to help people release stress and trauma within their nervous system. Uh, We have two upcoming trainings, uh, one in Austin on October 14th through the 17th and also Phoenix uh, December 2nd through the 5th. So you can reach out to me on Instagram or check out our website. It's srbreathwork.com. And without further ado, here is the Uninterrupted Podcast with Elizabeth Kristoff. All right. So welcome, Elizabeth Kristoff. Is that how you say it? That's right. Amazing to have you here on the Mind Body Mentor Podcast. I have, you know, we had a brief conversation about two weeks ago and I was just pretty blown away um, just by your understanding and languaging around somatics and functional neurology, which I'd love to get into, like, what is that even? Um, But first off, do you have like a sort of title that you would call yourself? Um, well, first off, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm yeah, really excited totally. to be here and talk with you and, um, just see where this conversation takes us. And as far as a title, I would say I'm a practitioner of functional neurology or applied neurology. Um, I also practice somatics and, um, I'm a movement practitioner. So I kind of put all those things together in one space in my platform, brain-based wellness, but first and foremost, I am, um, a functional neurology practitioner. Amazing. Yeah. I know that's such a tough question and that's a question people ask me and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, there's so, there's so many things there and so many modalities. And I know you've studied so many modalities. So I'm always curious if people actually come up with some sort of catchy title. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. And don't, don't feel pressured to, cause that's, that's driven me crazy. <laughs> 
Um, I'm curious what, if we could just give people a little bit of a background, maybe if you want to go into your story a little bit of what led you kind of down this route of wanting to have a deeper understanding of the mind body connection. And, you know, maybe if you could kind of explain what functional neurology is within that. Yeah. So functional neurology is basically taking the latest in brain science and breaking it down into really practical exercises that people can do on a daily basis to try to train their nervous system, understanding that our nervous system is our operating system and it's always changing in response to the stimulus that we give it. And so we actually have some agency, we have some choice in the stimulus that comes in and in what direction our nervous system is changing. And so functional neurology works on looking at your different input systems to your nervous system, like your eyes, your visual system, the balance system and your inner ear, your body mapping system, and works to train those systems to give better information to your brain so that your brain feels safer on a second by second basis, doing its primary job, which is making predictions to keep you alive. So if the information coming in is clearer, better, your brain feels safer and you're more capable of moving into more of a performance way of being rather than a protective mode, which could look like anything from pain to dizziness, to fatigue, to anxiety or depression or binge eating, all kinds of unwanted behaviors can actually be protective responses of your brain. So functional neurology is just learning how to work with the nervous system directly in a daily training program to make it function better, to make it be more resilient. And I started practicing applied neurology really with the intention of athletic performance and pain management. I had a couple of Pilates studios here in Austin. I've been a movement practitioner my whole life, my whole working life. Um, I've also owned my own business most of my life. Um, and we started studying applied neurology, my business partner and I, to incorporate it into our teacher training program, to use it with our clients for pain and to use it with our athletes. And that is primarily what I think the large majority of functional neurology practitioners do is they work with athletes and they, they work with pain management. And then I went through a time period in my life where I was under a lot of stress. Everything kind of fell apart. I lost my um, partnership in the business, which I had had for 12 years. Um, my fiance at the time was diagnosed with a really rare cancer around his heart. And I went into about a year and a half time period of, of being a caretaker for him in a really scary situation where you just never knew if everything was going to be okay. Like there was lots of sleeping in the hospitals and getting very little sleep and just lots of emergency situations and high, high stress. And during that time, I started to experience really severe outputs of my own nervous system, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of binge eating, which I've been a binge eater my whole life. I also have had addiction in my past and, um, and I, I just wasn't doing very well. And I started to recognize in myself, the signals of threat, the signals of nervous system dysregulation that I saw in my pain clients that I understood from my background of applied neurology. And that led me down a long rabbit hole of looking at how my nervous system was driving all of those outputs, all of those behaviors and studying from 
a bunch of different practitioners, whether it was applied neurology or somatics or vagus nerve experts to try to understand how we could train our nervous system, give it the stimulus and regulation it needs to not only improve our athletic performance, but to change our behavior, to change our lived experience of the world and to, to manage stress in a way that we can survive those really turbulent times a little bit better. Mm. Wow. So you studied a lot of this stuff first, and then you found yourself in a position where you actually started having to apply a lot of this knowledge to yourself. Um, and wow, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And it hits home for me as well. Um, I think that, you know, the kind of the shadow archetype, if you will, of, of the helper or the caretaker or the healer, if you will, um, is someone who is so good at taking care of everyone else around you, but ends up doing that at the cost of ourselves. And eventually we probably find some sort of stimulus that causes us to really have to go back and, um, we learn from our own pain, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that definitely I had a lot of codependent patterns that pushed me into that constant giving and overlooking of myself. And for most of my life before that time period of crash, I was living in trauma response, even though I was a mindful movement practitioner, even though I'd like dedicated my life to mind body movement, I was really dissociated from my body still. And there was a lot of my childhood trauma that I had not looked at. And most of my time building that business and sustaining that business, I was just cycling through cycles of hypervigilance, working myself into the ground, pushing, doing, pushing through pain, pushing through exhaustion into shutdown, into really bad migraines pain. I have autoimmune, um, and binge eating. And I would just cycle, cycle through that. And I really just thought that was the way that life was. And it wasn't until I hit that extreme bump in the road that really made everything come crashing down and really pushed me to go back and look at a lot of my own childhood trauma that I had completely dissociated from. It all started to come back to me during that time. And that was when the real deep healing began that allowed me to move out of those behaviors that I had been in a pretty much, I think my whole adult life and my childhood too. Yeah. There's so many ways to go with this. You know, I'm really interested in your take on the nervous system and also, you know, how, uh, these traumas affect our, our perception and, and our mindset as well. But, you know, you said that it was up until the point till you started to look at a lot of the childhood traumas and those things started coming up. Was there a moment or was there a technique or was there any specific way? Like when you say, look at my childhood traumas, um, what was going on there and, and what was sort of the ways that you kind of helped bring that up and, and, and process that? Well, I think I had been very dissociated from my own body for a long time. Uh, really, the only way I could feel in my body was to binge or to overtrain like these really intense mm. sensations. And But I didn't know that. And when I started studying applied neurology, one of the courses that I took is a was a proprioceptive course, a body mapping course where you really work on sensory stimulus and moving all of your joints through their range of motion. So the brain has a clear map of where the body is in space. And I really feel it was a very intensive week of, of studying this and applying that work to myself. And at the end of that week, for the very first time, I really feel like I woke up. 
that was like the beginning of an awakening for me where I, I I remember I was with my business partner at the time. I looked up at this pull-up bar and I'd never been able to do a pull-up. I have very weak grip strength. And I suddenly just jumped up and grabbed it and did like five pull-ups like they were butter. And it was because my body map was so clear and my brain didn't feel threatened. So it was giving me that amount of strength. Mm. It was letting me have that capability. And I hopped down from the bar and I looked at her and I was engaged at the time, but this was before my partner who had cancer and, um, he was a great man, but not the right partner for me, just kind of a shut down relationship. And I looked at her and said, I don't want to get married. And it was like wow. the nervous system training, let me do five pull-ups and also like awake to the fact that this isn't the right life for me. And I'm just living in this state of shutdown. And, and that was when I really started to change. But what brought me back to the trauma was that time period when I was with my partner, he had pretty severe CPTSD and then he developed the cancer. And then after surgery developed autoimmune pericarditis around his heart. And I was really trying to understand what was going on with his body. Why was this happening? And so I started reading, I, I researched a lot. I started reading all those books, like waking the tiger and the body keeps the score and complex PTSD and started reading for him and seeing him in those books. But I also started to recognize myself, especially in complex PTSD by Pete Walker. It was like that book was written for me and I was kind of blown away. And then that is when I started to experience the level of stress that started making flashbacks come back to me. And I was reading these books talking about the symptoms that I was experiencing in my own body. And I started to just follow my own symptoms back. When I was a kid, I wet the bed a lot. I had these massive tantrums that nobody knew what to do with me. I would self-harm. Um, I was sick. I was in and out of the hospital all the time. I would start throwing up and I couldn't stop or I would get fever and my throat would close up and I would have to stay in the hospital for a week or two at a time and no one could ever figure out what was wrong with me. And all these pieces started to come together. And by following those symptoms, I was able to start understanding what really happened. Yeah, it's so interesting how a lot of the times the thing that we want to bring into the world is the thing that we need the most. <laughs> and so Absolutely. it's crazy that the, you know, the trials and tribulations that we go through to be able to find that. Um, I'm really interested on, you know, you said that you were able to do more pull-ups there and you think that's a, a byproduct of your nervous system um, moving out of survival state probably, and into, you know, actually allowing and trusting yourself to use that strength for performance, um, versus having to use that, you know, that neuromuscular energy to maintain, um, safety instead. And then also there was a clarity of mind that came through as well. And it happened about the same time. Yeah. I think 
I think the clarity of mind came from resolving some dissociation. It was really the first time that I came back into my own body through doing all of that sensory stimulus and all of that body mapping. And then the way I look at the strength output from the nervous system is that, you know, our brain's primary job is our survival and we're meant to handle a certain amount of stress. We're very adaptable and we need a certain amount of stress to create adaptation. And, but if it goes on too much stress for too long is dangerous. And our brain, our nervous system, our body understands that at a really deep level, that if we have these hormones, especially cortisol pumping through the body all the time, it damages our blood vessels. It damages our nerves and can cause all kinds of disease states inside of the body. And so our brain will do what it needs to do to try to get us to reduce the amount of stimulus coming in to make our world smaller, to stay safe. And so if I have all of this stress in my nervous system all the time, my brain doesn't want me to work out with a lot of intensity. It doesn't want to give me a great amount of strength. It doesn't have a clear map of where my body is in space. So it's not safe to make big movements. It's under a lot of threat. So it doesn't want a lot of stimulus. So the brain and the nervous system and the body will start to generate protective outputs to try to keep me safe. And those outputs could be pain. If I'm in pain, I will take smaller steps. I won't work out with as much intensity. I won't engage with the world as much. It could also be fatigue. It could be muscle weakness. It could be muscle tightness and it could be a binge. It could be a yeah. migraine. It and could be so, like uh, being afraid to make big decisions in your life as well. Yeah. Overwhelm, racing thoughts, all of these these are, can be protective mechanisms of our brain. And so as my brain started to feel safer, just by making a clear map of where my body was in space, it was able to then have an easier time doing its primary job, making those predictions. And then it, it started to let me have more of a performance output. So, you know, our brain is taking in all of this stimulus all the time from our body map, from our visual system, from our vestibular system and our inner ear. And it puts all of that together to generate a picture of where you are in space and where the, you know, what is going on in the world around you. And if there's deficits in those systems, if there's problems, if you have an issue with your visual system or your vestibular system or your respiration or your body mapping system, then on a second by second basis, that's threatening to your nervous system. And our brain is always going to be deciding safe or unsafe. And when it feels unsafe, it will keep you weaker keep you smaller yeah. and generate those protective outputs. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I'm curious, what would your definition of dissociation be? My definition of dissociation would be having a very difficult time reading the internal signals coming from your body. I, I see dissociation as very much a, a deficit in the interoceptive system. So our interoceptive system is that, that system that tells our brain what's going on inside of our body. The vagus nerve is a key player in that system, but there's some other important parts of it as well, some areas of the brain. And when we don't have a good read on the signals coming from inside of our body. Again, that's threatening to our brain because it's hard for our brain to make predictions when it's not getting those signals. And it's also problematic for our autonomic system. If those, if our interceptive system is dysregulated. And so with dissociation, 
I feel like we don't have clear signals. It's very scary almost to drop into your body and try to read what those signals are and things like pain and even a feeling of where your body is in space, the size of your body, the space that my hand takes up in space, the space that my foot takes up in space. Like I can't feel that I don't have a good understanding of it. And so you're just kind of going through the world in your head, in your prefrontal cortex without being able to have that connection into the body. And probably craving some sort of overstimulus physically uh, to actually get you to feel a sense of yourself. Um, Whereas you see a lot of people addicted to overworking out, um, just addictions in general to be able to feel something. Um, Absolutely. You know, lots, lots of different things. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of it and I'm curious, you know, you're, you're talking about, um, being able to, you know, on a nervous system level, get a read of your environment, but also a read of what's happening inside your own, um, system as well. And I know that on a sort of evolutionary standpoint, um, our bodies are designed to deal with the immediate reality that's happening in front of us, you know, the environment that's in this room that I'm dealing with, and then also what's going on in my body. And I know that it's, we live in a very interesting time right now, um, because we live in a a sort of global world where I can look at my phone and I can hear about tragic things that are going on in Afghanistan or in Australia or different places in the world. And I think that most humans feel a sort of responsibility or they feel like they have, you know, need to have the ability to respond, um, to these, these tragic things that are going on, but on a physiological level, on a genetic level, on an evolutionary level, we are designed to be able to deal with our immediate realities, uh, going on in front of us. So I, I feel like being able to see and look at my phone or look at the internet or, or whatever it is and, and see all of these terrible things going on, there is a certain level of dissociation happening on a collective level as well, because we, we have to kind of learn to cope or to um, tune those things out to a certain extent, uh, because there's nothing that you can actually do right there in the moment in your immediate reality for that. Yeah, I really feel that too. I really feel that. And I think that, you know, a lot of times dissociation follows too much sympathetic nervous system response for too long. Right. So we've been staying in that state of fight and flight for too long and there's too much chronic stress and we'll go into more of a freeze hypo arousal shutdown mode. And there's been a lot of collective stress, um, with the pandemic, with everything, all of the changes, change is inherently threatening to our nervous system. And then everything that is going on in the world and so much access to see everything that's going on in the world, just like you're talking about that. If we do, we get overwhelmed. And I, I do, I see that in a lot of my clients, this checking out because it is too much. It's not the it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that like, that begs the question, like, is there a certain sort of ignorance that one should have 
for their own physical health? Or is it, you know, I mean, to be consciously aware of everything that's going on um, is to feel everything in your body, in your mind, in your heart. And so how do we find that sort of proper balance where it's like, staying aware of what's going on, not in, not just in our immediate reality, but also being, um, being, uh, in tune with what's going on on a global level too. Like, is that important? I I mean, I think it is because I'm not any good to anyone. If I'm shut down, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be helpful to the people that I do serve. If I have exceeded my minimum effective dose of taking in. And so I do have to calibrate. And I think it's, there's a couple of things I was thinking about when you were talking like one, I think when there's things that we can have some agency and making a difference in, when you can see what's going on in the world, and then you are able to contribute to causes either financially or with your time or with your energy that you feel like is making a little bit of a difference in it, then I think it's less detrimental to our mental state than if we're just taking in, taking in and all these things that we feel we have have nothing that we can do about. And so I try to be careful about how much I bring in. And then I try to think like, is there a way that I can do something small in some small way to contribute to the things that I'm taking in that I, that are upsetting to me so that I can feel like there is, I have agency in something. And And then I also have to watch out for the signals from my nervous system that I'm pushing myself beyond my capacity. So if I start to hear that, you know, the body is always speaking to us and it speaks softly in the beginning and louder and louder until it'll totally shut us down because it's too much. And so if I start to experience pain in my left knee or tightness in my jaw or a little bit of a migraine, a little bit of headache between my eyes, then I know like I'm pushing it. I'm pushing into my threat response and I'm going to knock myself out soon. I might experience a binge. I might experience a migraine. I might just be in bed for two days with the covers pulled over my head. And that's not helpful to myself because what we do, we get better at. That's a neurological principle as well. So if I'm constantly Mm. pushing past those signals into that response, I'm actually getting better and better at going into that loop, into that response. And so then I'm going to go there more frequently. I'm going to get triggered faster and end up in that place more of the time. So I I really want to try to interrupt that cycle before I get there. So I need to listen to those signals, interrupt the cycle, do something that my nervous system likes, take some time for myself to re-regulate, either use neuro tools or go for a walk or take a bath or go be in nature, anything that will help me get back to a regulated state so that I can take on more, but I'm not, I'm not shutting myself down because it's not good for me, but it's also not good for the collective. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Just being able to do something and whether it's small, uh, to just be able to put your own system at ease, um, from not having to constantly think about that. And it's more about putting your system at ease more than anything. Um, Obviously, it's about helping. But, you know, when you are taking on the weight of the world, which we all are, just helping out in some little sort of capacity can put that global tension um, to ease as well. I'm really curious. uh, You know, I know that you help a lot of people with like disordered eating, autoimmune 
Um, and also I read on your page that you have a, you know, an offering around self-sabotage. Uh, you know, I have a lot of clients that, um, come to me with sort of like self-worth issues and, you know, quote unquote, limiting beliefs. And I'm curious, what are some of the main things that you are seeing with self-sabotage? And I think before you go into that prefacing that I think most, uh, people and most like in this world of self-development and, um, coaching, we try to like work specifically with people's mindsets and it's not always just, it's, it rarely is something that you can just kind of change your thinking around. That's those self-sabotaging patterns, um, I believe are, are more deeply embedded in the nervous system. I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I really think like all of our behaviors are our brain's best bet to either get the regulation that it needs because it's been too dysregulated for too long or to get stimulus to certain areas of the brain that need more fuel and more activation. So in order to stop a behavior like binge eating, I have to have new tools to be able to regulate myself when I need to, and to give important areas of the brain that are understimulated the activation that they're looking for to stay healthy and active and alive. So there's so many important things you just touched on. So the mindset piece I'll come back to, but with binge eating, for example, in terms of like, you know, having goals for yourself and your health, and then feeling like you're getting shut down by your body and almost like in this out of body state where you just find yourself like eating, whatever, sitting on the kitchen floor, eating like a cold can of beans. And there's a reason that that is happening. And it wasn't that long ago that I really understood that I was profoundly grateful for having food as a, as a self-regulation tool. You know, I have a lot of childhood trauma, have a high ACE score, and that stands for adverse childhood experience. And a lot of people with high ACE scores develop disease and it is because their nervous system is so dysregulated. There's there's inflammation, there's uh, chronic stress, there's damage to the vagus nerve, to um, the blood vessels, to the heart rate variability. And so one of the ways that my body found very early on to move me out of that constant state of staying stuck in my sympathetic nervous system, my fight and flight response was to eat a bunch of food, to, to give my body stimulus that it needed to upregulate my parasympathetic system, my rest and digest system yeah. to calm me down and keep me out of that constant state. And I really believe if I hadn't had that tool, I might've gotten really sick because I appeared as like a really functional person on the outside, but I was really dysregulated inside. And so I think that if we're going to ask people to stop those behaviors, there have to be other tools to help your brain, to help your nervous system regulate, to upregulate your vagus nerve, to calm your respiration, to make your body feel safe, to feel safe inside of your body so that you don't have to rely on whatever tool it was, whether it was food or drugs or um, any kind of behavior that you, you just don't want. There's other ways to, to replace that. Yeah. And I think then it's switch, I'll say one thing on that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting because, um, we look at it as a negative thing a lot of the times. And, 
um, with any sort of coping mechanism or any sort of, um, you know, addiction or it is, uh, absolutely an intelligent response from within us. And the more that we have the ideology around that, this thing is bad or that we should not be doing it. And maybe, yeah, maybe we should not be doing it. It is something that's um, detrimental to our system, but the inherent nature of that is that it isn't an innate intelligent response and the body is looking for something, um, to soothe to it's looking for some sort of resource and switching our mindset from this is an issue to this is actually a very intelligent response from our system. And, um, it will do the best job that it can until we find something, a, a better tool. Yep. Absolutely. Our, our bodies and our nervous systems, they are very intelligent and they're always living in that moment of keeping you alive right then of keeping you safe right then. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. we've been in this stress state for too long. This has got to change right now. It's not, it's not thinking about your long-term goals or your higher order thinking systems desires It's thinking about in this moment, this is not safe anymore. Let's do something about it to change the internal state of the body to something that is, is safer. And so, yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to the mindset piece, I think, you know, at a very early age, we all develop these core beliefs and those beliefs are intended to keep us safe. That we make the decision about something to ensure that our needs are met, our needs for nourishment, our needs for love, for connection um, and safety. And so we bake those in really early. They live in our subconscious mind. We're also like in our brainstem, our autonomic systems are set. And so when we make a cognitive prefrontal cortex decision to change our behavior, to change our mindset, that's great. But then we decide to take action on it and our body, our nervous system, our brainstem is not on board with that because this old belief it's been relying on forever Mm -hmm. to keep us alive and to keep us safe. So like one of the things when it comes to food, it's, it's very adaptive. A lot of the clients that I work with have sexual trauma at an early age. And so do I, and it's very adaptive to try to gain weight and make yourself quote unquote, less desirable to get less attention. If you feel that it is threatening and that you're going to be violated, harmed, possibly killed. If you at a very subconscious level, if you take on a certain body size, and so we can try all we want to move out of those behaviors, but our subconscious mind does not feel okay with it. And it will push us back into the, into the other behaviors. And then even with things like with owning a business, and I made a decision at one point to increase my visibility. I had always been part of businesses where I kind of stayed in the background, or I worked for institutions where I stayed in the background. And then I started this business and I have a mission that I believe in and a vision. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to put myself out there. Visibility is an act of service. Like visibility serves the world. And so Mm -hmm. I would push through and I would do things like this podcast, but, you know, growing up in, in a place where there was sometimes violence, where it wasn't very safe all the time, it felt safer to my subconscious mind to be invisible, to be in the background. So I would push through that deep belief and, and 
do all these things to be visible, but I would suffer consequences of that on the back end. I would get a really bad migraine. I would sometimes binge. I would get shut down with pain. And so I had to learn tools to regulate myself before I take these actions for visibility and after I take these actions. So like before I do this podcast, I do some neuro drills to calm my nervous system, to feel safe. I bake in the new belief and then I'll do this podcast and then I'll go do some more neuro drills or do something like jumping on the trampoline or go for a walk or wear some colored glasses that my nervous system likes so that I'm teaching my body and my nervous system. This is safe. It's okay to do this so that I'm starting to bring it into alignment with the beliefs that I, that I have in my frontal lobe. Mm, Yeah. Wow. There was so much there. Uh, It's so, you know, it's so interesting. And I think that we have these sort of like within the I don't know, just performance or trauma healing or life coaching or any of these, um, self-development style modalities. We have a lot of modalities that are kind of a top down system. And then we also have these bottom up systems. Um, and I think that sort of our, uh, our general population or, um, our, our general way of looking at it and working with people is on a top down level. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And and that a lot of these bottom up models working with the body and the nervous system first, and then working with the sort of mindset and the conscious thought after, um, I have seen personally that I've, that I've seen a lot more results from that. Yeah. I saw a post that you did about mindset and manifestation. And like, if you Mm -hmm. can create that sense in your body, then you can go out into the world and really bring that energy into you so much better if you're super dysregulated by trying to, you know, create that life because it really isn't safe yet for your body and your nervous system and your subconscious mind, then we're probably putting out a very mixed signal to the universe about what it is we really want. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that for yourself, someone who's, you know, increasingly moving into the public eye, uh, increasingly, you know, putting yourself out there, or do you feel like you're developing some sort of resilience, um, on a nervous system level where you are able to do these things and not have the repercussions that you once had? Yeah, I think I am developing resilience because I I have developed a protocol for myself because I don't want to live my life that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sacrifice my own health and well-being in order to to do these things, right? Like I want to serve the world. I want to grow this business, but I, I not at the expense of like my life experience and my health. I just, I don't want to do that anymore. And so I had to really think about like, how can I do this as someone with a high A score, as someone who has trauma in their body, how can I make this possible for myself and just start to get really curious and develop tools that I could use to make it better. And sometimes still I push too far, right? Because, or not too far, but I've gotten so much better at like just going on a regular podcast and talking a little bit about what all this is. And then there's other podcasts where we, now I'm starting to go deeper into like talking about ACE scores and disease and sharing more of the deeper experiences that I had. And every time it gets a little bit deeper, it's a little bit more threatening. And so 
um, sometimes I can stay regulated around that. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, I did it. You know, like I have dissociated now and I'm just going to have to like give myself some rest and time, but I'm much more compassionate with myself when that happens and don't try to like push through on the other side of it. Yeah. You're the awareness that you've cultivated is, is, um, the biggest piece of that, because you actually know where you're at on the spectrum. You know, anytime that yeah. we are, are trying to prescribe ourselves any sort of tool, um, we have to first know where we're at to begin with, to bring ourselves back into balance. And that is a byproduct of developing a, a self-inquiry practice and some sort of awareness around what is my, what am I actually feeling on a somatic level? Um, yeah, it's, do you feel like we are quite fragile, um, as a collective or as a culture? Uh, because I'm, you know, obviously stress and trauma are not the actual things that are happening to us, but it's what's happening inside of us based on those things that are happening to us. And, you know, everyone has a certain level of capacity on how, or what, you know, what's super stressful to me might not be stressful to you based on your capacity, um, the capacity that you were born into, and also the the tools and the um, resources that you've developed along the way. Uh, But I, I am increasingly feeling like we do live in a world that is where people are quite fragile to stress, to trauma. There's very little things that are causing huge amounts of stress for people. Um, cause I mean, we live in a, we do live in a pretty cush world nowadays. Like we're not like having to fight for our survival every day, but our nervous system is thinking that we are absolutely fighting for our lives. Yeah. I think that the way our society for the most part is set up is pretty dysregulating. Like we don't have a lot of community anymore, not in that real way, especially with the pandemic where you're able to regulate your nervous system with those interactions. And, um, we stare at a computer screen a lot of the day that's a set distance from our face. So our eyes are not getting to practice different visual skills and the visual system is very important to your Mm. brain's perception of survival and safety. Like having a well-functioning visual system is really, really important. Mm. And if we don't use it, we lose it. And we're losing a lot of our visual skills because we're not using them because like, here I am just this distance. I'm not focusing far away. I'm not using my peripheral vision. I'm not using Mm. all the muscles around my eyes. So that's a thing. And then, you know, we're sedentary a lot of the time. We don't move as much as the human body is made to move. We're probably not out in nature as much as the human body is made to be out in nature. So we have like this container that's pretty dysregulating all of the time, plus all of this trauma, who knows how far back it's gone unresolved, you know, from generation to generation. But I do also think that more and more tools and more and more understanding is, is coming about now too. I feel like maybe because of the pandemic, because of the high level of stress that we've all been under, it's pushing us all to start to understand like, Oh, wow. Our animal body has a lot to teach us. Oh, wow. There are all these tools we can use to regulate our nervous system. Oh, there's breath work. Oh, there's plant medicine. Oh, there's all these things that are available to us now. And I do think people are starting to seek that more and more. 
And maybe we are at this time because we can handle it because we're the ones who can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I have a deep feeling and uh, a sort of gnosis that, you know, most trauma is ancestral and it's passed down, you know, hurt people do hurt people and it continues the lineage. And I think that we're at a incredible time right now where a lot of people are open to, and probably have been forced into, um, a lot of these tools and techniques that are really making a significant change on a personal level first and on a collective level. Second, um, I'm curious, you know, you've talked about regulation a lot, uh, within your, yourself, you know, having tools to regulate yourself. Um, what do you feel about, uh, co-regulation as well? And cause I've seen for myself that, um, I'm okay at regulating myself, uh, but I'm also, you know, I, I take a quote from Bessel van der Kolk. It's, you know, healing happens in the presence of an empathetic witness. Um, whereas we are tribal beings and we do need and require, uh, co-regulation as well. Community is such an essential nutrient. And I feel that, um, so much healing happens within co-regulation versus, uh, self-regulation for myself is, is powerful, but the real magic happens in co-regulation. I believe that as well. I think we have to have community and we have to, I feel, I feel so much like a lot of my, my early healing and, and my early life, like I was always alone in the, alone in it, like trying to figure it out by myself in the dark kind of, and I don't want that anymore. I don't want it for myself and I don't want it for the other people who are going through it because there's no, there's no reason to be alone in healing. And also I believe that co-regulation is incredibly vital to the health of our nervous system. And so, I mean, that is why in in the work that I do, everything is done in small groups. It's not, I I really very rarely do one-on-one training unless somebody is really experiencing some severe symptoms that, you know, maybe the group work wouldn't be the right thing, but for the most part, I feel like it's so much more powerful for the participants if they can do it together in a held container in a held space with each other. And I'm part of it, but they're all part of it. They're all part of the healing. Yeah, Yeah. it's so, it's so powerful. And I'm, I want to get into kind of the technique that I use, because I'd love to hear your perspective on it. And we've chatted a little bit about it. Um, But within, you know, somatic release breath work, which is a combination of taking someone into an actual dysregulated state first, um, it's over breathing. And uh, it is, you know, a lot of people will say that these types of breathing are not hyperventilation, but it absolutely is. Um, and I think they, yeah, that's another topic, but, um, taking someone into a dysregulated state gives them the opportunity if they are in a safe enough container, um, and feel safe, you know, mentally and nervous system wise to take them into a, uh, a controlled dysregulated state, which gives them the opportunity to discharge on an animal, on a, on a, um, you know, a somatic level, a lot of the, the things that have laid dormant within their, uh, within their system. And then after that, 
taking them from that dysregulated state, giving them the opportunity to discharge back into a regulated state um, where they have cleared out a lot of that, uh, that somatic capacity that has been draining on their nervous system, those defense systems that have been activated that have been draining on their nervous system into a place of more capacity where they can actually regulate their system and create a sense of feeling within themselves of how they actually want to feel and, and firing and wiring those emotions within inside of themselves. And, you know, I do a lot of, uh, I used to do a lot of one-on-one sessions, but within the groups, um, it's so powerful because I, uh, I, and I'll tell a little story. I had a woman in my class, uh, a couple months ago and she was, she had reached out to me for a one-on-one session. She was a doctor and she can't, I, I didn't have time. So I was like, please come to my group session. And she came up to me about 15 minutes before the session and said that she was kind of having an anxiety attack. And she just came up to me with these huge, bulging, bulging, hypervigilant eyes. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, this might be a lot for your system. Um, but please just, you know, this is your first time. So you're here. I think that you're here for a reason and you should go through with it and just be very gentle with yourself. You know, you have your foot on the gas pedal. You can go as deep as you want. Um, but she was incredibly unsafe. Uh, I could tell by her system, the first half of the session, she kept her eyes open. Um, she really didn't want to breathe. Uh, she kept sitting up and, you know, I would go back and comfort her multiple times. Um, and that session I ended up having, probably the most significant discharges from everyone else in the room. You know, there was a Mm. lot of crying, a lot of yelling, Mm. a lot of screaming, um, uh, as far as laughing and, (laughs) um, singing and all different types of stuff going on. And she was definitely freaking out. Um, but she ended up making it through the whole thing. And towards the end, I could feel her system start to relax a little bit into it. And she shared at the end, and what she shared at the end. So she is a pain specialist doctor. Uh, she specializes in numbing people, um, when they are in pain, you know, shooting them with different numbing medications that are very powerful and, and useful, um, in conjunction with, uh, you know, repatterning techniques as well. Um, but she was like, it, this was so powerful for me because I had to listen to everyone expressing their own pain and expressing and actually feeling everything. Um, and I was not able to go around to everyone and numb them. And she is basically numbed. You know, she sees someone in pain, she numbs them and that is what she does. So it was, it was just so powerful on a, on a group level and these groups, uh, they absolutely start to, um, hold the container for themselves. You know, they're all going through their own journey, um, but they're in a collective space and the collective space is set up in a way where they are able to be vulnerable with inside of themselves. No one's looking at them. Um, they are expressing whatever's coming up for them, but they also can hear what other people are going through. And that really gives their system permission um, mm-hmm. to go further into it. And it's just, I'm just seeing these, these group and it's, it's really like 
collective healing that's going on. Um, but there's been a lot of debate as far as whether taking someone into a dysregulated state for um, to give their system an opportunity to discharge. I think that there's, there's, I personally have seen it and I think there is some power within that. Um, but I'm curious your, your take on that. Yeah. Well, I was really, I really loved the way that you explained your work to me and it really made a lot of sense to me because I do believe that our animal bodies do know how to process the things that Mm -hmm. they need to process, how to express the emotions and then all that held charge. It, they know how to get rid of that. We've just civilized ourselves out of that knowing, and that causes a lot of problems, pain and dysregulation and, you know, mental health issues. And so uh, coming into that state in a safe container where we are intentionally triggering it and then allowing people to process it in a, in a safe place and then re-regulating, it does, it makes a lot of sense to me. And we do similar things in my programs. One of the things that I really try to do first is create safety in the body through the applied neurology, functional neurology, respiration training. Um, and I do a lot of work with people to get them out of chronic hyperventilation so that they're not in hyperventilation all of the time so that then they could do something like that and get themselves into that state, but then come back to being out of chronic hyperventilation. So they're not constantly sending that signal to their nervous system. But, you know, I start with creating safety in the body, making it safe to drop into the body and feel its signals, even if it's just for like a minute at a time. And then, yeah, there is deeper work to do. There's emotional processing that has to happen. There's subconscious rewiring that has to happen. And that is, that is dysregulating. Often I do intentionally Mm -hmm. trigger clients to get them to feel that, to go back to those places so that they can process it through their body. And then we just couch it just like I would do with a very difficult exercise. We just do some drills to regulate prior before doing the work and then some drills to re-regulate afterwards. So that again, we're reteaching the body that it's safe. It's safe to express your anger. It's safe to express your grief. It's safe to scream and cry and do all shake and do all the things, but then afterwards giving it tools to come back down so that they're, they're learning it's safe and they don't have to stay up in that place. Yeah. I think that's something that's going on within this kind of breath work as a fad, Um, and a lot of people not having an understanding of why, um, we're actually doing this and taking people into a, um, sort of dysregulated hyperventilized state, which is not a place where you want to be in your day-to-day life. Um, but there as a, uh, as an intervention and, uh, it is a tool that you can use and it's not something that you need to use all of the time, um, And I think that that's like my mission is to help people kind of understand that because I do think that um, when you are taking people into a dysregulated state like that, you can actually do a lot of harm as well too. um, If you do not know how to hold that container, if you do not fully understand what you are doing, and if you don't give people integration techniques afterwards um, and and regulation resources afterwards, um, it's incredibly powerful. I'm, yeah, I know there's so much that we could go, uh, into there. And I definitely feel like I want to have you on another podcast where we can kind of go deeper into some of these topics. I love that. Um, 
but I want to kind of continue to skim the surface on a lot of things. Uh, I know you talked briefly about autoimmune as well too, and that's something that um, you know some very close people in my life are dealing with, and uh, and my, I mean, there's so many different types of autoimmune. Um, where it's like autoimmune is the self attacking the self in a way. And what have you seen uh, that has been like the most effective? And I'm sure there's no one size fits all for that. Uh, but maybe your own, if I know you mentioned something that you have experienced with that in your own body um, and maybe your experience and then also helping other people with that. The most effective work that I have found with autoimmune is, is, is work on the vagus nerve, um, and work on respiration to create more safety inside of the body on a second by second basis, because, you know, when we are stuck in these high stress states, it, there's a major, major impact on our immune system. Um, you know, when people are given organ transplants, they are pumped full of stress chemicals, stress hormones in order to suppress their immune system, to make their body not reject the organ, right? Because that's how they suppress the immune system with all of the stress hormones that are the same ones that you experience if you're stuck in a state of dysregulation all of the time. Right. So there's a, there's obviously a clear impact on our immune system when we are stuck in this state of, of fight and flight. And then when we also go into a shutdown stage of hypo arousal freeze. And so creating more, more safety and more constant regulation to not peak into those states as much to be able to modulate between those states with more ease is, has been really important for me and my clients that experience autoimmune flare-ups, especially helping to upregulate the vagus nerve. And, and for me, like even I have to get specific with it, like the right side of my body has more sympathetic response. So I have to really work with the right side of my vagus nerve um, because we always have two sets of cranial nerves. And so, you know, everybody's body is, is different and specific. And then the other thing is not pushing myself into threat response with my emotional processing, with my healing work, when I first started trying to teach myself how to feel emotions, which has been a very yeah. long process for me, um, I would try to let myself express my anger or cry or whatever for like a couple minutes. And I would start breaking out with eczema. My joints would swell up. I would mm -hmm. get a little bit of a fever. Sometimes I feel so heavy and I have celiac. And it was like I was experiencing an, an episode of celiac. It was like I ate gluten and um, was experiencing that. And um, I quickly learned like there's a minimum effective dose of even that deep healing work. And so regulating around those attempts to feel emotion and then being really patient with myself and letting it be really small at first and spending much more time on the like somatic shaking and processing and moving and and re-regulating my vagus nerve and stuff around it rather than just experiencing the emotion so that I could start to make that safe for my body again, because it just really wasn't. Mm -hmm. 
what so i think you know we're using so many terms and we probably could just spend the whole podcast like defining these terms yes i'm sorry i try not to do that sometimes i slip into it it's no it's good and i think that most people listening to this have a pretty good understanding um but i do want to just kind of define regulation specifically um and what that actually means as a concept so you have a part of your nervous system called your autonomic nervous system. And that's all the things that are going on without your conscious awareness. So your, your breathing, your heart beating, your digestion, um, your muscle tension. And there's two parts. Breathing can be both. It can be conscious and conscious and unconscious. That's very true. That's very true. And whereas the others probably not so much. Um, But all of the things that most of the time, at least are not in your conscious awareness. And then that is separated into sympathetic and parasympathetic. So sympathetic is your fight and flight, your arousal response. And so it's preparing you to, to take action. It's preparing you to fight or to flee. So it you know moves all the blood out of your organs into your limbs. It speeds up your heart rate. Your digestive system will stop working as much because when you're in a fight and flight, you're not going to be digesting your yeah. food. Your blood will also leave like your sexual organs pleasure. You can't experience pleasure and be in a sympathetic state because again, you're, it's not the right time for that. And then there's parasympathetic, which is what kind of brings you down out of that state. It's your rest and digest your calm and respond. It's, it's where you have more saliva in your mouth, your digestion is working, your muscles are more relaxed. And regulation is just maintaining a good balance between those states. We're never flatlined. We're never just yeah. flatlined. There's always like a wave and, and you want to sometimes be a little bit more sympathetic. If you're going to go work out, if you're going to, mm-hmm. um, you know, do something where you need your muscles to have good contractile strength, then you want to be in a little bit more of a sympathetic state. If you're, if it's time to go to bed, if it's time to come down from the day, you want to be more parasympathetic. And so regulated nervous system, if you just eat and you want to be more parasympathetic, a regulated nervous system can easily move between those two states. And they're never getting too high in, in either one that you get also stuck in that yeah, state. Stuck, so stuck in one of those. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of my mentors told me one time, uh, and I took a, a, an autonomic nervous system, uh, class and, uh, he was like, health is the ability to choose and where it's like, most of us walking around, we get stuck in one of those states, whether it's, you know, sympathetic or we get stuck in parasympathetic, we get stuck in, you know, anxiety and having to get shit done all the time, or we get stuck in this depressive lethargy. And Mm -hmm. usually when we get stuck in one side, we get flung to the other side, you know, you get stuck in sympathetic, um, you're going to be forced into a timeout probably because you're going to get sick or something's going to happen. And then you're going to, you're going to have to sit in timeout. Um, or you get stuck in, you know, depressive or lethargy and not, and feel like you don't have a lot of energy and that's just going to be bubbling up with inside of you. Mm -hmm. And you'll probably get flung into an anxiety state. Like I need to do something. I need to create something. And then, so health is really the ability to move through those states and have enough tools and be, be resourced enough to first of all, have the awareness and know where you're at. And then know where you actually, what things you need to do to take yourself back into regulation. So I, yes, I, re- I really appreciate your definition. And I think it's, I think that's important. Um, 
I'm really curious, you know, someone who has so many different uh, modalities and, and knowledge underneath your belt, what are you currently like really interested in studying? Is there anything? Um, I am always looking to expand my functional neurology. So there's more courses I want to take in that. And then I'm, you know, recently I'm really called to looking for mentors. I really want to work yeah. more in like a mentorship model. And, um, there's a couple people that I am starting to do that with. There's a woman named Melanie Weller, who's a Vegas nerve expert. And, um, I adore her. And so I'm starting to study under her more and take more for her courses. And, um, uh, you know, I'm all, I I'm just always, seeking to learn from people who have a lot of experience and wisdom. And, um, and then for me, like personally, I still have a lot of growth to do in my emotional processing and in Mm. my ability to like, um, to do that safely and, and to move through it without, uh, I can get stuck there sometimes too. Oh yeah. I can, I mean, just in having a conversation and listening to you, you're such a mentally adept person and I can absolutely tell that, you know, our, our, you know, that's probably one of your strengths and maybe the emotional aspect is something that you is calling to you. And we all, (laughs) you know, we all, we all have uh, different things that we're working on. So it's good to, you know, just someone who has had so much experience and um, to remember that you are a human, you know, you're moving moving through stuff. And and one of my, yeah, one of my teachers told me that I'd gotten through pretty much my whole life with my intellect, but that I was completely frozen in my limbic system and stuck in fight and flight with my old brain. And so since then, I feel like it's been a long journey of trying to thaw out my limbic system and get out of my head and into my body. And, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to always explore different modalities of that for myself to make that possible. Yeah. On an emotional level, is there anything that's been very powerful for you lately that's allowed you to tap into that deeper or to let those... Um, I do a lot of EFT tapping and Mm. do that with visualization and like inner child work. And so like I allow for me, what has been really important is to allow the places where my dysregulation appears to lead me back to the wounds that need to be healed. So like if I find, I really want to binge, push that behavior away, start tapping, follow the felt sense, what's going on in my body. When is the first time I felt that way and see what comes up and process that through versus like engaging in the dysregulated behavior. Because sometimes I try to figure out what my wounds are and it's working better for me to just follow my dysregulation back and see what happens. If I take my normal response out, what comes up for me, what still needs to be processed and doing the processing that way. Yeah. And not trying to mentally figure it out, but allowing your, your system and your, and giving your, your nervous system, the space and the time, um, and your somatic sensation to see what unravels from there. Yeah. Ooh, so, so powerful. Um, yeah, you have an absolutely an incredible intellect and I am very thankful for the work that you're doing in the world. 
I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing in the world and I cannot wait to experience it firsthand. I'm, I'm really excited to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be in Austin very soon. Um, you know, I, there's so many other pieces that I want to go into here, but we've been going for an hour. So I think we are going to start to wrap it up. Um, I always like to, at the end, do you have any questions for me specifically? I mean, I guess same for you. What are the things that you're, what, what brought you back into your body? Like, what are the things that you're exploring today to, to do that? Yeah, I think for myself and really starting to kind of make sense of my life. And, uh, I think even that, that term to make sense is to, we think of that as an irrational thing. If something makes sense. It's part of our mind. You know, we have a logical understanding of it and to make sense is to make sensation and to make mm -hmm. uh, a full spectrum sensation and a feeling of where I, where I was, where I'm at, where I want to be and also integrating all of my past experiences. And, you know, I, I've shared on this podcast, but, you know, both of my parents were significant drug addicts and switched from drugs and started their life over and did an incredible job and switched to pharmaceuticals. And then I just, I knew from a very young age, mm -hmm. only child, um, that there was something, yeah, <laughs> I could, I actually was going to ask you that because I got a sense of that. Um, but I knew something was wrong from a young age and I, uh, I was always very physically active and spent so much time outside, like in the neighborhood, like playing hide and seek and skateboarding and playing sports and just so physically active because I think those things gave me an opportunity to be in my body and to not have to think about the future or the past. I was there right then. Um, and that's been I've been an adrenaline junkie. I've been someone who, uh, is probably, um, I would say an over, uh, chronic workout person, <laughs> um, throughout my past and, uh, just to sort of get into my body because it's, it's like my, um, it's my coping system. So totally. learning, you know, I, and that's kind of given me a, a, uh, an idea of why I'm into the things that I'm into. And for me specifically right now, um, I am trying, I'm, you know, I'm building a business and I'm understanding business and that's been a huge leap for me. Um, so I'm trying to understand like how to have a healthy relationship with business, um, and how to, or how, knowing when to sh turn it on and when to turn it off. Cause I'm also a very driven person and I, um, find myself, uh, that I just want to put all of my energy into this thing. And then I don't have much energy for the people in my life. And I have very little capacity to actually live life, um, and do activities and different things. So, um, I am, figuring that out. And I would say, uh, I haven't really found the right tools yet, but I'm searching. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that I definitely <laughs> have business boundaries and play and all of that has been a rest is, uh, is an yeah. ongoing, ongoing learning process for me too. Yeah. Play is such a huge one, you know, and, and, 
I think I spent a, a huge majority of my life too. Um, you know, I lived in Sedona for two years. I spent almost every day in nature and just like lived a very not stressful life. And that started to eat at me as well too, because I know I had mm. a bigger calling and a bigger purpose mm -hmm. and something that I wanted to birth into the world. And now yeah. I'm finally kind of doing that. And it's like, I want to put all of my energy into that. Um, but I'm trying to figure out how to not be such an extremist, um, person within that and finding time for, for all of those different pieces and still be able to process my emotions and feel totally. to the fullest. Totally. Because that's our, that's our, um, that's our birthright. You know, we come into this world, uh, uh with a clean slate and our somatic sensation, um, is our birthright to be able to feel everything to the fullest to the fullest capacity yeah i believe that <laughs> well it's it was beautiful. absolutely honor to have you on is there anything that if people are interested in working with you or learning more about you um where can they find you and then do you have anything coming up that you would like to promote the best place to find me is my website, which is brainbase-wellness.com. And you can actually sign up there for a free video series. And it'll teach you a little bit about how to assess and reassess how something is working for your nervous system, how to just understand a little bit more about nervous system training, and then teach a few really high payoff exercises that have helped a lot of my clients have some tools for regulation. So um, you can get all that at the website. And I have a workshop on self-sabotage coming up soon. Um, that's this Saturday. And then I'm constantly running the programs for food freedom, which is for people with binge eating disorder and energy creation, which is for people burnt out entrepreneurs who are experiencing pain shutdown yeah, and having that really difficult balance. And how do we, how do we regulate so that it's not so scary to find that balance? Yeah. Ooh, so many, uh, delicious and important offerings that you're creating. And I love the assessment because, you know, if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. So that's, that's incredible. Right. That's, that's an absolutely incredible tool. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And you, this will not be the first and we'll go deeper into a lot of these concepts and, and thank you for just kind of skimming the surface with me today. I can't wait.